Magazines and Monsters, Episode 23, House of Wax, from 1953. You ever thought of what would happen if we had a fire here? In the cellar, there's six barrels of wax. Wax has a paraffin base. It's highly inflammable. This whole place would go up like a paint factory. Burn? Burn all my people? Do you think I'm a murderer? Oh, stop dreaming, will you? These dummies are insured for $25,000. That's $12,500 for each of us. All you have to do is to strike a match, and the thing is done. you, eh? Seeing me here? That's an understatement. I thought you were dead. Jared is dead. I am a reincarnation. When I read this letter and saw your signature, I thought somebody was playing a joke on me. I still don't understand how you escaped from the fire. It's a mystery to me, too, Mr. Wallace. As for my hands, they're no use to me now. As a sculptor, I can't control them, but they serve for ordinary functions. But you're beginning again? With the help of my pupils, yes. I'm rebuilding my exhibition from the ground up. I'm going to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. Send them out in the streets to tell their friends how wonderful it is to be scared to death. You shouldn't have done that, my dear. It is Kathy. It's Kathy's body under the wax. I knew it. I knew it all the time. everybody, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, back with another recording, and this is our big Halloween episode, so get ready to be scared. And uh, to uh, up the scary, I brought along my uh, spooky partner from Into the Weird and All-Star Squadron, Mr. Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy, man. I must admit that I'm better than great this time around, because after all, it's our favorite month of the year. It's October, where we're getting closer, edging closer to Halloween and we're almost there, but you know, I'm I'm already reluctant to say goodbye to all these wonderful Halloween-filled, scary, terror-filled days we've had. And uh, I've been enjoying it, man. So yeah, I'm doing, like I say, uh, very good here. I'm enjoying uh, life <laughs> or unlife. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thanks for for asking me once again to be on magazines and monsters. Yeah, I definitely wanted to have you on to talk about my absolute favorite Vincent Price film, House of Wax. Um, so when uh, when was the first time you saw this film, and what did you think of it? Oh, okay. This film I saw um, one late night in the early or mid-80s, I should say, maybe 1984, 1983, I can't remember. But we had basically just five TV channels 
back then and um, South African Broadcasting Corporation being one of them and so forth and one of them used to have late night movies and uh, they would usually have stuff like James Bond and and every now and then they would have a horror but not you know very old horror you'd have like a couple of mm -hmm. Hammer films from the 60s mm. and 70s but I remember this time was the, f the, the first time that I saw uh, Vincent Price in fact I think this was my first Vincent Price movie uh, but I've seen him before in, in other media, nice. you know, I, I knew him as as a personality. Um, we never got Sesame Street, so I never saw that episode where <laughs> Kermit bites him in the neck. But, you know, uh, I oh, knew... Muppet Show. Yeah, yeah, the Muppet Show, sorry. What did I say? Mm -hmm. Sesame Street? What the hell's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. You see, a heathen, <laughs> foreign, foreign heathen here, mixing up those two properties. He, it's like Lord of the Rings and <laughs> Star yeah, Wars. He was probably on that. He was probably on that, too. He was on everything back then. That's probably where I saw him first, either there... Or that stupid, crappy, awful Scooby-Doo show. That oh, yeah. That might have oh, been Lord. it because we got a lot of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, that might have been where I saw him. And, uh, you know, so I knew him. I just hadn't seen any movies of him. I just hadn't had the opportunity because things weren't screening. And I remember the, the DVD store or the video store, I should say, back then near our house didn't have a lot of Vincent Price stuff. They didn't have a lot of old, old mm -hmm. stuff, period. You know, they had a lot of John Carpenter, Wes Craven stuff from the 70s and early 80s. That's it horror related stuff so then yeah. late night i was staying up to to see what movie was on i didn't check the tv guide which we did have so i didn't know this was coming and it was house of wax so i'm like oh this the opening looks a little bit too old for me so i might not watch it so i, I remember leaving and then coming back after 10 minutes and my dad saying listen because my dad was heavily into horror he allowed me to watch horror with him early on mm -hmm. and i was about what eight nine years old so it was fine so he said, oh, this is going to be good. you got to watch this with me. This is Vincent Price, House of Wax. Now, I don't know when my, my dad saw it, but he obviously saw it way back when. He knew this movie. He said, come on, this is going to be great. you got to join me. And then <laughs> that's the first time we watched it, and I was blown away. This movie mm -hmm. blew me away, Billy. It was so good. Atmospheric. Uh, it's got a great story, great revenge-driven plot, fantastic acting. Uh, and, you know, one of my dad's heroes is in there, Charles Bronson. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so my dad was also saying, now, listen, this, look at that guy. Do you see that guy over there? Do you see him? That's Charles Bronson. Mm -hmm. I was like, no. He said, <laughs> yeah, that's Charles Bronson. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Morticia Adams was in there. You know, so my dad loved the Adams family, everything about the movie. So he got me into, well, I was going to enjoy it in any way. But, you know, even if my dad yeah. didn't say, but he, he sort of said, you got to watch this. And that's my first memory of House of Wax. And then I uh, touted the movie to my, uh, you know, girlfriend 20 years ago, who's now my wife. But, uh, you know, I, I told her, listen, they're remaking House of Wax 2005. We got to go watch it. Uh, and then, you know, I, I was still on the remakes could probably be good kind of uh, uh, bandwagon. And then we <laughs> went to see it. It was atrocious, and I was so disappointed. My <laughs> wife looked at me ever since then as if she could never fully trust me again. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my history with House of Wax, one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. I'll still give it to the two Dr. Phoebes movies as my ultimate favorite mm. Vincent Price movies. I'm a big Dr. Phoebes guy, but this would firmly be in second place for me as one well, of his you know best. What? Yeah, that those movies are insane too. We'll have to talk about that. Maybe we can do a double feature down the road of those two because they're crazy, especially the first one. I, I love that film, but yeah, I don't know what it is about this film. I probably have a nostalgic feel for it because 
just like you, I saw it when I was pretty young. And of course, when you see something like this when you're very young, you yeah. think it's spooky and scary and stuff. And you know, you watch it as an adult, and it's not scary, but Vincent Price is just over the top great. He always brings it. You know, what I mean, even in some cheesy, cheap movies he's been in where the scripts were not great or you know uh, the the sets were crap or whatever they always still have an allure for me because he brings things up kind of like you know Cushing and Lee you know our, our buddies there from uh, mostly mm, you know known mm, from mm, Hammer mm, mm, mm. they they bring lower budget stuff up because oh, they're yeah. just so good yeah no no it's true it's like what mm. uh, spinning chaff into gold or what's the expression? That's what Vincent Price does with a bad script, with a, you know low-budget production. He turns it into something to treasure. And that's exactly what he did here, mm-hmm. too. Although I would say that this movie, though, had all the you know uh, elements needed for a blockbuster right from the get-go, right, Billy? I mean, mm-hmm. they had a huge budget, $1.5 million, And then they uh, mm-hmm. had a, what, a, a six-month schedule to shoot that. They finished... Uh, no, 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 sorry, I'm wrong, 60 days, and then they finished in mm-hmm. 28 days, so director Alex de Toth, he, he, you know, did so well on the, on the filming that he even got, like, a, a personal thank you from, from, you know, uh, Warner himself, <laughs> what was it, John mm-hmm. Warner uh, <laughs> at the time, uh, yeah, so, but they had all, they had that huge budget, and they went, they came in under budget, um, and then they had this, this great cast. So, you know, this is a different movie, but Vincent Price even elevated that beyond what it could have been because he, there's no doubt that he is the main, you know, reason why this movie became so successful. And also, this is the movie that cemented his fame as the greatest horror actor of his generation. I mean, before this, it was Lugosi, it was Karloff, but this is Vincent Price's moment, and I think this is when he became... I mean, this is yeah. not just my opinion. This has been well documented. This is what mm-hmm. made him a horror superstar and a mm-hmm. superstar actor, too, even though he yeah, was in some sh- great bits before this. Yeah, it shot him into the stratosphere. He was like the horror guy after this. Cause you figure this is, you know, pre-Hammer, so he didn't really have uh, Lee and Cushing doing their thing yet. That That's five, six, seven years off yet before they you know, really started getting into a groove. So he was the guy at this time because of this movie. It's just you know, made him a star. I, I should say made him a star. I think he made himself a star yeah. because, yeah, you know, exactly. the movie did have a good budget and made a ton of money, but I think it, it's more of, you know, mostly because of him. Yeah, there's some other great things about it too, good cast members, and, you know, as we talked about before we started even recording, you know, the, the music, you know, is very good in this film. You know, the sets are pretty cool and stuff like that. So there's a lot to love about this film, even Vincent Price aside, but I, I still think he really really lifted this up there but um and this is one of those crazy movies one of the earliest color 3d films too yeah this is only the second 3d movie to be released by a major studio you know and um i think uh uh yeah the first one that also did well obviously uh Mm -hmm. but most people considered it a gimmick you know so they weren't really um uh, you know the 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 the, the high and mighty uh the uh, film critics and so forth they they eschewed, you know, this 3D gimmick as a new thing that's just there to, to, you know, it's just for novelty's sake. But, you know, this actually did, did not hamper the film at all because apparently director Alex de Toth, he shot most of the scenes as if it, it, they weren't for the benefit of 3D because, Billy, you know, he lacks depth perception. He, uh, mm-hmm. when he was a kid, he was blinded in an accident. 
So he, he basically only has uh, perfect vision in one eye. So because he filmed, you know, w with a complete lack of depth, depth perception, that Vincent yeah. Price has, has gone on record as saying that that's actually what made the movie so great. The lack of 3D elements, actually. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, he wasn't, mm. you know, thinking about that when he made the movie where other people were like, oh, there's this new trick 3D. Let's go crazy. And he did not, you know, uh, lean on the 3D. He still wanted to make a good movie 3D aside. So I think that's why this one was such a, a big hit and did well. That's right. That's right. You know, and um, uh, this movie held the record for the largest box office take for uh, a 3D film uh, up until 1969. You know, Belize. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the current record holder is apparently Star Wars The Force Awakens. But, you know, um, I think in 1969... Uh, another movie came out that that eclipsed it. Still, uh, to have a record for what is it, sixteen years? You know, uh, for yeah. a larger do domestic take, uh, that is that is a very successful film. And uh, no wonder mm -hmm. that Jack, sorry, it's not John Warner, it's Jack Warner, right? Jack Warner personally wanted to thank Alex de Toth and also why they were so happy because they came in under budget and they made this huge profit. Um, on the film so highly successful and Vincent Price is to blame <laughs> no he's to be <laughs> to be lauded for his role in in making it so successful yeah and I mean some of the other players in this one uh, you know right below Vincent Price you would say probably Frank Lovejoy who mm. was, uh, the one cop he of had course. been in a million and one things he was usually either a cop or a lawyer or <laughs> something like that in a lot of the films he kind of he was like that guy, like a little bit taller, a little domineering. So they kind of usually put him in uh, roles like that. But like you already mentioned, too, one of the people in this uh, film is, uh, you might not recognize her, but Carolyn Jones, you know, Morticia. <laughs> That's right, from the Adams Family fame. You know, um, mm. wow. Uh, now, she looks really strange in this role, if you're used to her as Morticia, because she's blonde mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. curly blonde, even. And yeah. Um, yeah, uh, she acts differently than Morticia would too. I mean, here she's oh, yeah. all ebullient. She's optimistic. She's a little, uh, you know, uh, prissy little thing. But Morticia's more, <laughs> you know, like uh, she's got more um, gravitas. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, uh, that that just shows her range of acting. And um, I did like her in this role too. It was a, it was a surprise to me, you know, to see her. Mm -hmm. I don't think as a kid that I recognized her as Morticia. Nope. You know, this came later with subsequent <laughs> viewings. But you know, my dad was all just uh -huh. saying Bronson this, Bronson that, and he was a big Vincent Price <laughs> fan. So he didn't really focus on the female cast. But if you think about it, this is a big deal, right, Billy? This was before mm -hmm. she, 10 years before she was cast as Morticia. And mm -hmm. um, apparently, just a, a bit of a side story, she was a huge fan of uh, Charles Adams' Adams Family cartoons. And uh, mm. that's why she was picked for the role, because she was one of the only cast members who actually knew the source material intimately and loved it. And then afterwards, she became a great friend of Charles Adams as well. So That's awesome. Yeah, so she's one of those horror staples that's there. You know, she's in her own little niche. And the fact that, it, that she's in this film makes it extra awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then one of the people, too, I did recognize right out of the gate was... Uh, the other cop, Sergeant Jim Shane, and that's uh, Dabs Greer. He's been in <laughs> yeah. so many movies and television shows. I recognize him right away. And, you know, by the time everybody's hearing this, you know, about a month previous to this, when you're going to be hearing this, um, I had talked to Karen from Planet 8 and Bronze Age Babies about 
it the terror from beyond space and right. he was in that too <laughs> right 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 there you go mm-hmm. yeah man and you know he had a career that spanned um well into the 1990s too you know he started oh, stuff gosh, like yeah. you know uh the green mile i think it was mm-hmm. even like in con air maybe uh you know he's a couple of things uh, modern modern uh stories so yeah you're right like a uh, old-time hollywood actor that still kept his career mm-hmm. going Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely one of the the famous ones. And then, of course, famously Charles Bronson. As uh, <laughs> but then he was still known as, as well. He plays uh, Igor, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man, just like Doctor Frankenstein had an Igor. Well, mm-hmm. it seems like Vincent Price's character. You know, he needs one too. So now, Henry Billy, Jared. Yeah, he needed a, a lackey. So Do- Igor, Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah, Professor Henry Jared must have an Igor. Now, this was when mm-hmm. he was still known as Charles Buczynski, right? Or mm-hmm. Buczynski, Buczynski, maybe. I, I think it's the pronunciation. That's his true yeah. name. But he had to change mm-hmm. the name uh, a year after this movie because of the Red Scare, right? Billy McCarthy mm-hmm. was hunting down, you know, all the communist yeah. sympathizers. And in fact, uh, the other assistant in this. I think it's uh, who is it? Um, I forgot his name now. But th- you know the second assistant. Um, oh yeah, uh, Leon Averill. Leon Averill. He was wasn't he like uh, brought uh, um, in to testify in the House Un-American Committee hearings? I think I, I read something like that because they suspected him of being a communist sympathizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know that's that's the, the the this is the time of the McCarthy era where where the Red Scare was that happening. So nonsense. Yeah, yeah. obviously Ugh. nonsense. So My Charles God. Bronson changed his name to get more roles from Buczynski Buk- mm-hmm. to Bronson, and uh, mm-hmm. good good because then you know good choice. He would go to, go on to star in in stuff like The Magnificent Seven, and and later mm. on of course in the Death Wish franchise and uh, <laughs> tough guy roles would would be his uh, life. And he looks yeah. pretty damn tough in this role already, Billy. For a young guy, oh, he's yeah. ripped. He's built like a brick outhouse. And mm-hmm. uh, he takes on people physically at, at a number of times in this film and gets the oh, better yeah, of we'll, them. We'll get to that. There's a yeah. huge brawl at the end of this movie. Oh. And he's like a one-man wrecking crew. And I mean, honestly, and in real life, I wouldn't want to piss him off no, either. Because no, 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 I think no, no. he was one of those guys that played tough guys on screen. And he could back it up off screen if he wanted to. Easily, dude. <laughs> Easily, man. Easily. No, no, no. Yeah. Bronson's nobody to mess with. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, one thing I like about his role here, it's completely silent. You know, he's a mute. Mm-hmm. But he... Everything that he does, he gets across really well. Malevolence, uh, ignorance, or or you know he, mm-hmm. mysteriousness. He, he's mysterious at some point in time. This and he really sells it well. So he's got yeah. some acting chops. You know, he's not just a uh, an action star. Uh, there's definitely something about Bronson here that you can see some talent there. Um, so very oh, good yeah. cast, Billy. And I think that's one of the reasons why Price was elevated to what he did here too, is by the cast interacting with him yeah, yeah so oh yeah for sure and then yeah and, be, and then before we too get into too far this is a, a basically a, a remake of mystery of the wax museum from 1933 that's right and uh that one uh also stars uh some uh heavyweights from uh, the golden age of uh hollywood there too lionel atwill and then uh our honey uh fey ray, fey ray. oh man mm. i mean phyllis kirk <laughs> is is pretty hot in this, I love Phyllis Kirk, and uh, but but Ray, whew, no, nobody mm-hmm. can come close. So yeah, Oof. you're right. And in fact, that was one of the reasons, apparently, 
why Phyllis Kirk actually did not want to do this movie. She didn't want to star in House of Wax, right? Believe did you know about that? Because mm-hmm. she didn't want to become the Feyre of her time. She didn't want yeah. to be cast, uh, you know, in this role because she was typecast. scared. Typecast. Yeah. She would get typecast later on. And uh, but then you know they uh, because she was under contract. She had to do two more films with him. She didn't really have a choice, and she did it. And then she ended up loving doing it. She she loved working with Price. She loved the script, and mm-hmm. uh, she you know reflected in later life that she, it was one of her greatest roles or or most enjoyable roles, I should say. Um, and she was she never regretted playing it afterwards. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? So what if she becomes the fairy of her time? That would be cool. She she didn't become the fairy of her time. But um, come on, that that's that's not for me. That's not a bad thing. For some actors, it no, might that would be, be a, yeah, that'd be a compliment. I would think. I, that. Yeah, yeah, sometimes when things are right in the moment, people don't appreciate certain things, and you know, it takes them a few years later to realize, hey, that was uh, not so bad. And they they embrace it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I mean, when once the James Bond era rolled around, <laughs> yeah, yep. when people started getting typecast, but. Yeah, Billy, you're right. Now we can get into the story because it's fascinating. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. plot. Oh, it's great. Great for horror film, masterfully executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the film starts out, you know, we see uh, our buddy Vincent Price here, and he's uh, in this uh, wax museum, and he's like, you know, an artist and sculptor, and he's, you know, uh, working on a project here, and then his. Uh, you know, seedy uh, business partner comes in. You know, we didn't mention him yet, but that's, uh, I think his name's, uh, oh, God, what is his name? Hold on. It's Roy Roberts. Yeah, Matthew is Burke actor. is and his uh, character's uh, name. But Roy his Roberts, partner, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I guess, you know, hey, you know, you're an artist. You're, you know, they don't call it a starving artist for nothing. So <laughs> if you want to, you know, get, open your own business, you need somebody to back you. And he gets uh, backed and into business to open his own wax museum with this uh, scumbag called Matthew Burke, who <laughs> all he's interested in is money. He doesn't really give a crap that, uh, you know, Jared is this fantastic artist and he wants his money and etc. etc. So Jared says, Hey, you know, well, I have a couple friends coming over to the museum tonight and uh, I hope they'll, you know, think about buying you out. And the guy's like, All right, great. It can't happen right away because. You know, one of the people that's coming to visit that has all the money basically is uh, an, uh, an art critic, Sidney Wallace, yeah. by Paul Cavanaugh. And uh, he's like, hey, I might be interested in becoming partners, but I can't, you know, give you an answer for at least three months because I'm going to be on this archaeological dig in Egypt. Yeah. So how about in three months, I'll come back and we'll sit down and talk about it. And, you know, of course, uh, Professor Jared's like, all right, and that's not good enough for Matthew Burke. So then uh, what does he suggest? Well, he says, why don't we just burn down the whole museum and get the insurance money right now? And, of course, this mm. is anathema to uh, Professor Jared because he doesn't just sculpt these wax figures. He breathes life into them. Now, not literally. I mean, this being a horror film, you might think that I mean this literally. No, but he he treats them as if they were alive. And his favorite is Marie Antoinette. Now, he's got Cleopatra there. You know, he's got Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got these set pieces from history, which look fantastic. But his favorite is Marie Antoinette. And he says that this is his greatest creation. And and I think there's a line that he mentions, which is a great line. It's something about the hand of God. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here in my notes. He says, once in a lifetime, every artist feels the hand of God and creates something that comes alive. And that's how he feels about his Marie Antoinette. And then, 
you know so how could he part with these wax creations i mean this is his almost his life's work he spent countless hours sculpting them perfecting their forms and now this mm -hmm. guy just wants to burn it down in one night just to get insurance money so yeah. he he balks at that he says no way i'd kill you before i let that happen i kill myself and then what does the guy do billy what does his the matthew burke partner uh, decide oh yeah this maniac is just like oh don't be silly you idiot and takes a match to some of his wax figures and they get into this huge fist fight but you know while they're having this fist fight the wax museum just starts going up you know in smoke because you know wax is you know i can't remember how they explain it but the base that you use back then at least for the wax stuff is very highly flammable so mm -hmm. the place goes up in like five minutes and just huge explosion because then this maniac kind of knocks out professor uh, jared jared yeah. and then he you know not only is it burning he wants the place to blow to kingdom come so you know this is like turn of the century so there's uh you know gas uh lamps every so often to light the place up you know no electricity so you know he blows out the uh flame so then you just have the gas pouring out yeah and then this fire going on and kaboom an explosion happens and uh, Matthew Burke ran for it. He made it out alive, but uh, the unconscious... Well, he wasn't unconscious at the time of the explosion. He was trying to save some of the mm -hmm. wax figures, and he couldn't. And then he fell to the ground, right? And then... Or he was unconscious, I think. Um, he, he got knocked through the railing. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, this is Professor Jared here, and then the explosion happens. Now, uh, just a, a quick aside here, Billy, uh, trivia related to the film. Uh, did you know that this fire that they set actually went out of control they lost control of the blaze and then oh, wow. alex de toth he ha he kept filming because that it would have been impossible to replace the wax figures for a second take or a second shot or mm -hmm. so you know vincent price was actually seriously concerned in many of these scenes that were filmed because the fire had been at that point in time they had already called the fire department to come and help them mm -hmm. control the blaze so yeah three teams that had to manage the fire all three teams lost control of it and uh, then it, it it ended up damaging the studio pretty badly you know after they put it out but they just moved to another yeah. studio no 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 problem you know they had so many studios on the yeah. lot, so many so many uh film sets i should say on the lot but still pretty scary if you think about it so Vin vincent price's terror in this scene is 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 for real Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Warner Brothers, they were already huge back then, so they had plenty of money and plenty of sets and studios and all that crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, then uh, obviously what you would uh, think happens, like um, uh, he's presumed dead, Professor Jared is, uh, at least temporarily. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, the insurance money does pay out. They only pay out to, to his partner, Matthew Burke, though, because it mm -hmm. seems that during that, that interim period, he was presumed dead. Uh, you know, uh, Professor Jared was so Matthew Burke got all the compensation from the uh, all the money from the insurance company. So he's flush with cash, and he's mm -hmm. gonna go on a cruise with his uh, little uh, skirt, <laughs> uh, which is played brilliantly by Carolyn Jones, and she plays Kathy Gray, his hanger on, mm -hmm. his. Uh, yeah. his <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate to say it, they kind of portray her as a, a gold digger, a bimbo. A, a bimbo yeah, a bimbo. I don't know what else. Yeah, how else to do it? I mean, she's she's a very nice, kind person, you know, because she has a roommate, you know, uh, Sue Allen, Phyllis played by Phyllis Kirk, that, mm. that, you know, is 
down on her luck and she's basically letting her live there for free and you know gives her money because she doesn't have really any money to eat or anything like that so she's a very kind person but yeah like she's portrayed you know in the movie as just l- basically looking for a guy with money to uh, get married <laughs> yeah that's that's as she says she doesn't have a lot of assets right when she speaks to her best friend uh, <laughs> sue allen but you know the assets she does have she's going to use so she's hooked up with mm-hmm. this old guy matthew burke and he is pretty old i mean she's probably oh, yeah. 25 years younger than he is or 30 years oh even. yeah he's old enough to be her dad it's kind of creepy but back then it just that that's kind of how things were but yeah that's there's right. a funny a funny scene with them out to dinner at a restaurant somewhere and he's like yeah i got twenty five thousand, and she lights up like a light bulb and is like and he's like hey let's go on that trip i was talking about she's like all right and where does he he suggests about going somewhere and she goes no let's go to niagara falls and we can stop in Buffalo on the way and get the license. And he's like, license? What, what license? And she, yeah. yeah, and she's like, yeah, you know, legitimate. And she kisses him and he goes, oh, well, maybe it'll be fun. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't looking for that. He wasn't thinking that she was no. going to try to get hitched along the mm-hmm. way. But she's not letting him go. <laughs> she's holding on for dear life here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because this is her, her ticket. Well, hopefully, I yeah. mean... <laughs> uh, because it's, it's presented that the two girls, Sue Allen and uh, Kathy, they're living in this boarding house, right, Billy? So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're not earning much. Uh, I think one is no. a seamstress or something. Isn't Sue Allen like a seamstress or she's got some kind of a low-paying job? But Sue Allen does have ties to this wealthy family. Um, uh, uh, Scott Andrews is uh, her sort of boyfriend or childhood mm-hmm. friend. So, you know, uh, she she has at least some some means of, of taking care of herself. But uh, poor old Kathy Gray, her roommate, she's got nothing, nobody. So, yeah, this is her last chance at a good life. So she's going to take yeah. it. And it ends in tragedy, of course, this being a horror film. Uh. <laughs> you expect no less. <laughs> but Billy, yeah, now... Funny, that next scene. Oh, now, now we see one of the first... Oh, oh, sorry, mm. which scene are you talking about? Are you talking about the first murder? Well, yeah, Matthew then, you know, oh, yeah. goes back to his office because, like a complete imbecile, instead of taking the money to the bank, he has it in a safe in his office. So he goes back to his office to go to the safe to get the 25 Gs, and there's uh, someone in the shadows waiting for him. And at this point, you don't know who it is, and you even, you know, you see the face of the person, and you're still just, you, you don't know who it is because it's real creepy. It looks like, almost like a, a monster, quote-unquote, yeah. you know? yeah. Yeah, it looks like a, a Phantom of the Opera crossed with a yeah. Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, or even a, an Igor type character, which we'll see later. But this is the mm-hmm. more traditional one. This this deformed person waiting in the mm-hmm. shadows, and then just uh, attacks, strangles, yeah, him. strangles him. They attacks uh, Matthew Burke, strangles him. Uh, mm-hmm. But he might not be dead. We're not sure if he's unconscious, but he might already be dead, like you say. And then mm-hmm. he heads out uh, outside Matthew's office, opens the elevator gate, and mm-hmm. ties a rope to the to the iron bars. Then drags the body outside. Um, you know, th- flips the <laughs> noose around Matthew Bird's neck and just drops him down the elevator shaft. And then we've got this great shot of him hanging in the open elevator shaft because everything's oh. you know enclosed in this gate. And one of the ladies on the lower floors walking up the stairs and seeing this dead body hanging there in this elevator shaft and just screaming for dear life. Ah! Yeah, poor cleaning lady. Like, you, good grief. Yeah. 
Oh, that's a that's mess nasty. that she's gonna have to clean up maybe <laughs> no 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 i'm mm-hmm. kidding but <laughs> yeah so terrible i mean this murder was uh horrific in the sense that you you know when he drops the body down the shaft you hear the snap of the neck and it looks frighteningly yeah. realistic right Billy? obviously it's a dummy mm-hmm. that was hurled down uh but and then when when the next snap happens that's also a dummy but it doesn't look like a dummy by much you know it, it no. looks like it could be a real person and then the next shot immediately is the actual actor you know uh matthew burke hanging there mm-hmm. you know dead yeah. so with his neck snap that's roy roberts in that sh- in that it's, next shot yeah it's a pretty good scene uh, they Fantastic. did a good job i mean again 1953 it's it's pretty convincing yeah and you know the look of of uh the attacker um mm-hmm. It's very, very uh, sinister uh, because it it it's looks like it's inspired by a couple of famous horror figures, you know, from okay. from cinema at this point in time. It's a little bit of, of like I say, the 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 Phantom of the Opera in there, a little bit of Dracula, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of of, of uh, scenes from Frankenstein too. Um, yeah, and uh, even a little bit of the Shadow, if you think about it, right? But mm-hmm. he's dressed like the comic or the the pop character, the Shadow. Uh, yeah. but um, more horrific looking. And uh, we get a few glimpses of his deformity, but not by much yet. We'll, that'll be safe for later. So they didn't mm-hmm. just show it right off the bat, and which is a good uh, decision, I think, by the director. Oh, yeah. yeah, so they're, they're saving the horrific moments for a little bit later when we see mm-hmm. what this, this guy truly looks like, this attacker. Yeah. So then believe yeah, me, then, cut, cut yeah. to the next few scenes involving... Uh, Carolyn, or oh, oh, sorry, Kathy, and uh, her best friend Sue. So mm-hmm. in the boarding house, what oh, yeah. happens there? Yeah, so you know we switched, like I said, to this boarding house scene where you know uh, uh, Kathy is being very kind to Sue because Sue's kind of down on her luck, and she's like, "Oh, here, you know, here's a couple bucks, you know, if you can get something to eat, you know, because I'm going out on a date with this uh, guy." And they talk about Matthew Burke dying, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> I guess they read about it in the newspaper or whatever, and Sue mm. was just like, oh, that guy. Isn't that that guy you were dating? And Kathy's like, yeah, that was him. He was going to marry me, and you know, we are going to go off together. But then he hung himself instead, and she just laughs. <laughs> yeah, as if it, uh, he hung himself because of her. <laughs> That's, yeah, because, he didn't want to get married. <laughs> she did, yeah, she did approach the subject of marriage so she she might be thinking that's why he hung himself <laughs> yeah so they talk for a few minutes and then she's like i'm going out on a date with this older guy and that uh, i think sue says she's going to look for a job because uh you know she's out of work and needs a job and needs money and then the, the landlady or whatever at the boarding house here is threatening to toss her out if she doesn't pay the rent because i guess she you know charges by the person not by the room so she yeah. wants Sue to pay up or hit the road, so she goes out and tries to get a job, but that doesn't work. So she tries to sneak back in without the landlady hearing her, but she hears her and you know says to her, "Hey, I want my money tonight, or you're getting tossed out of here." And she's like, "Oh, oh, Kathy said she was going to loan me some money." So she's like, "Well, she's upstairs. She's back from her date. Go get your money." So she goes up the stairs and goes to uh, see Kathy, and she's in her room, and you think she's asleep, and she goes over. And you see her kind of like grab her hand to like kind of try to wake her up and her hand must be cold because she kind of jumps back and tries to light a lamp and turns around and uh we have uh our creepy uh cloaked figure in the room he had just you know apparently murdered kathy 
And then mm. he goes after Sue and chases around the street. That's a great scene. I love that scene. Oh, that is one of the scariest scenes because the, the streets are deserted. Now, we, we must mention, Billy, this is set in the early 20th century, 1905, 1906, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, yes, things were still, like you said, gas lamps were in use. Uh, there weren't a lot of uh, motorized conveyances there you know, not a lot of vehicles around. The carriages were basically what you were using. And there was a curfew at night in some cities mm -hmm. like Boston and, and Chicago and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, cops were patrolling the street, but not as many as you would think. Not like London, you know. So yeah. uh, here the streets are deserted at night. And uh, Sue's running through these streets and she's being pursued by this killer who's monstrous looking. And he, he moves with a monstrous yeah. gait. He has some kind of mm -hmm. a limp, but that doesn't slow him down. He can move at incredible speeds. And he's mm -hmm. chasing her through these streets, possibly because she's the witness to the murder, but we, we don't know uh, why yet he's so, uh, you know, um, obsessed with, with catching her. But they, the chase mm -hmm. goes on for a very long time. And at one point in time, I was thinking, is this is this going on too long? But I didn't mind it because the, the terror just keeps escalating. Right, Billy? So, yeah. I mean, she gets away, and then you know she thinks she's safe, and then nope, he he reappears again, hunting her through the streets. So very very disturbing mm -hmm. scene, and fantastic for a horror film, I think. Um, yeah, so and I I love the, the how she's she realizes like even in a panic, she's pretty smart. That the reason he keeps you know he's able to keep up with her and keep like finding her when she's like a block ahead of him is because you know. Like you said, the streets are deserted, so it's like very quiet, like a cemetery quiet. And he can hear her shoes cluck, mm. cluck, 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 cluck on the stone streets. So then she takes her shoes off, and that's how she's able to evade him and then get to uh, her friend uh, Scott Andrews' house. I guess him and his, like, he still lives at home. I think it's his, him and his mother that are living there. <clears throat> she yeah. pounds on the door, and they let her in. And, you know, that's when we find out that he's kind of like, you know, sort of a boyfriend and as the movie goes on it's definitely that yeah it becomes that yeah so uh, mrs mm -hmm. andrews's mom wealthy lady scott andrews he's uh, also a sculptor studying to be a sculptor uh mm -hmm. much like uh professor jarrett in the beginning of the movie was and mm -hmm. uh it seems that yeah they have uh, some budding relationship like, like you mentioned and then it blossoms into mm -hmm. something more during the course of the film but she shows up and at that point in time i, I remember thinking that oh she's going to be arrested for the murder of her friend Kathy but that never happened even as a kid I remember thinking that I'm like thinking oh this is what they're setting yeah. up she's gonna be arrested for the murder because she fled the scene and then luckily it turns out that's not the case the cops are they believe her you know sort of they they you know then we get introduced to the two cops now one of them's played for laughs right Billy um uh, uh oh Frank, yeah, yeah Frank Lovejoy's character clear. yeah he's the sort of the leader the detective Tom Brennan but, uh, you know, I think they got a great dynamic between these two police officers. I really enjoy them, uh, you know, working together. Oh, they're, oh, they're great. Sergeant yeah, Jim great. Shane and yeah. then, of course, uh, Detective <laughs> Tom Brennan. Oh, man, I love them. They're, they're an essential part of this movie. Because, after all, yeah. there has to be an investigation. Now, they haven't mm -hmm. tied the murders together yet. But now they're, they're going to because, after all... Uh, Kathy was involved with the man who had committed suicide just a day earlier or two days earlier yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, with Matthew Burke. So now they're piecing things together um, mm -hmm. and that's when they get involved. So perfect time to introduce them. Yeah, they like you said, they are uh, a good tandem. Uh, 
Lovejoy's character and uh, the other guy, Dabs Greer's character, the Sergeant Jim Shane yeah, and Shane. the Lieutenant Tom Brennan. They, they play off of each other very well in this film. And, you know, there's a couple parts at the end that really uh, made me chuckle. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, a little, they're a little over the top, but they're funny. I, I like them a lot. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very of its time, I think, where they try to make light of the situation. I mean, these days, people would play it more realistically. Like, after a horrific event, you would be traumatized. You wouldn't make cracking mm-hmm. jokes. But these mm-hmm. two cops, they definitely, they're up for cracking jokes in the in the face of, <laughs> of this extreme horror that's just been witnessed. They, that's how they lighten the mood. And they mm-hmm. probably, it worked for the audience as well. I, I could see the audience reacting as they would to a Marvel movie's jokes back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I would definitely see that happening. So, um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Very, very interesting. And then, um, Billy, we have them, they're starting to investigate the case. But mm-hmm. now we're, we're, we're cutting to, um, I think, the, the part of the movie where we see that, in fact, Professor Jared, he survived. Mm-hmm. And he, I wouldn't say he prospered, but he, he sort of reopened his museum. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, now he's in a wheelchair. You know, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's uh, been uh, paralyzed from the waist down by the, 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 the explosion and the fire that he was caught in. But he still has mm-hmm. all of his features, as handsome as ever, as eloquent as ever. And yep. uh, he's opened this new wax museum and he's showing people around the museum. But something about this museum is different than the previous display we saw in the beginning of the movie, right, Billy? What, what is that? What is different? Well, yeah, like in the beginning, he wanted just mostly historical wax figures. Yes. Uh, and the partner, that Matthew Burke, was like, listen... You know, there's a couple other wax museums and, you know, they're showing all these uh, scenes of murder and, you know, all this crazy stuff. And they're getting way more people to come in every day. So that's one of the reasons why he said about, you know, burning the place down because he wasn't getting his money a return on his investment fast enough. And he thought that, you know, you know, Professor Jared should have, you know, changed his ways and he didn't want to do that. But now all of a sudden he has a change of heart and he wants to have a museum full of uh of the the macabre mm. yeah the macabre sells and that's what was suggested to matthew burke in the beginning but henry jared wasn't having it just like you said billy so now uh mm-hmm. he's got his the investment partner back from the archaeological dig the possible investment partner who in fact then does mm-hmm. decide to invest uh after seeing this new display and uh rightfully determining that this would be a huge attraction mm-hmm. because there's these grotesque uh, scenes of murder depicted you know we've got the the first man uh, or one of the first people uh, who, who was executed I think it was Henry Land, Landrau uh, executed in the electric chair um, and you know you've got scenes like uh, you know Jack the Ripper you've got lots of other gruesome scenes and then strangely enough the more recent suicide scene mm-hmm. involving a certain Mr. Matthew Burke so the folks comment on why does this suicide victim look so much like the the real the real person Mm -hmm. and of course professor jared says oh that's because i base my sculptures my my wax sculptures from life i looked in the paper i saw the man's Mm -hmm. face and of course he used to be one of my old partners so you know i modeled this after his face so it looks oh, exactly yeah. like like the person. Yeah, that is. Yeah, and, it, and it's not a it's, it's not a stretch either because he is a a brilliant sculptor. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, so it's not a stretch either. It's like yeah, it catches people's eye. Like wow, does that really look like the 
the person, but again, he's an excellent sculptor, so nobody really thinks anything of it until you until know, it's revealed uh, why. Actually. Yeah, Sue is the first person to start thinking uh, strange thoughts because it's later re revealed why these people look so extremely accurate. So Sue, mm -hmm. like you say, she goes to the wax museum and she's accompanied by her now boyfriend, of course, um, and uh, Scott he, Andrews. Scott Andrews. He is a sculptor too, mm -hmm. so he's very interested in this mm -hmm. wax museum. That's how they end up going there. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And then they, they see the brilliance of it, and he makes the acquaintance of Professor Jared. At first, they, they meet the investor, uh, mm -hmm. and then um, he shows them around. But Professor Jared sh soon shows up because he, I mean, Sue is fascinated, enraptured almost, by the Joan of Arc sculpture. And, mm -hmm. and why? Why is she so uh, obsessed with that sculpture, Billy? Well, because it's a dead ringer for her dead friend, Kathy Gray. Yeah. And then we forgot to mention as well, uh, Kathy Gray, her friend that was murdered, like literally the night after she was murdered, her body was stolen from the morgue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This <laughs> that is, is a creepy scene, man. Like, that is very creepy. There, yeah, there's, there's nothing supernatural going on here, but uh, Vincent Price's character, you know, Professor Jared, he almost acts like a, a supernatural being like you said when he's chasing sue through the streets it's kind of creepy like almost supernatural and then <laughs> at the morgue it shows these two guys you know pushing a couple dead bodies into the a room and there's this room full of dead bodies because like i mean let's get real it's new york city so there's people it's a big city there's people getting killed there all the time so there's probably 20 dead bodies covered in sheets in this room yeah and after the two guys leave the one body sits up and the sheet comes off and it's uh, our uh, antagonist of the movie. You know, it's it's the the creepy guy in the cape. Yeah. He was laying there on one of the tables and then he proceeds to steal Kathy's body. That's right. That's right. He's the, the yeah. So um, very a scary scene. And at mm. first we think, you know, okay, you know, um, this is just... Uh, you know, a natural occurrence that the fact that the corpse would sit up at the two morticians, they in fact explain that, no, 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 sometimes corpses, you know, they do have these muscle spasms or, you know, the embalming, uh, the embalming fluid, fluid makes, them, makes yeah. them, you know, become stiff. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, then it's this creepy scene, like you say, where in fact that corpse <laughs> turned out to be, you know, the attacker, the killer. And yeah, he steals mm -hmm. Kathy's body. And mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, a couple of days later, you know, Kathy's likeness shows up in the museum, the, the yeah. House of Wax. Now, this museum has been renamed House of Wax, rechristened, mm -hmm. because it's it's now more like a marquee theater. Uh, they're really, you know, upping the showmanship of this place. They're trying to yeah. to advertise, and it's working, because people mm -hmm. are coming in droves. And um, yeah, oh, so this, yeah. this is where the title of the film stems from, the House of Wax, this scene where all the horror in the movie would now uh, occur again. And uh, mm -hmm. then we also get to meet some of uh, uh, Professor Jarrett's new assistants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we got uh, Charles Bronson's character Igor, you know, and then we've got uh, I think the other assistant, Leon Averill. Uh, Leon yeah. Averill, and uh, he's mm -hmm. the more vocal of the two. Uh, Leon yeah. is he's um, uh, obviously uh, one of the assistants who explains things too, and he's he, he he's engaging with the clients and the. The, the people who show up. But Igor is the mm -hmm. more sinister of the two because people, since he's a mute, people instinctively fear him, but also because he's very physically imposing. 
right? Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he's not hunchbacked at all. He's very tall, very straight, like Charles Bronson was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a big, big guy. And mm-hmm. uh, he's very, uh, you know, uh, aggressive looking and imposing. But also since mm-hmm. he's, he's mute, people treat him as dumb, which he's sure. definitely yeah. not in this movie. He's, he's definitely not. In fact, he yeah. has a type of murderous glee that 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 <laughs> comes out later on in this movie he's very much yeah i don't know where professor jared found him but I, I i think you know uh you know um evil attracts evil probably because somehow mm-hmm. he found this guy somewhere and they're you know two peas in a pod <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> so dr frankenstein has found his igor and then you know um believe now some of these wax museum dummies are really really um upsetting you know but obviously there's one missing and that is marie antoinette Mm -hmm. and uh, that is the reason why professor jared is so interested in in uh sue in sue Sue. yeah because Mm -hmm. she looks like his ideal marie antoinette in fact she looks like the marie antoinette he described in the beginning of the film the hand of god touched him he breathed life into this sculpture and this sculpture only his beloved Mm -hmm. marie so Sue Ellen, like you say, dead ringer, and he's fascinated by her. And he even asks her if she would like to come over, and he could model, you know, a <laughs> sculpture based off of her on her face, so that he can recreate his Marie Antoinette. He's very frank about it. He he mentions what mm-hmm. happens: a fire, that his hands were damaged. And in fact, in a few scenes, he shows his gnarled, mangled, and burnt, scarred hands to people, mm-hmm. saying that now he can't sculpt anymore, but he's still. He, he, he now, um, you know, rather than sculpt, he employs talented um, apprentices. Mm-hmm. And through his direction, he's managed to recreate his most famous works. So that makes kind of sense, right, Billy? And mm-hmm. that's also yeah. what, what fascinates Scott Andrews, because he wants to learn from this master, this genius, to improve his craft. Mm. So, yeah, and then the know. second time he, you know, Professor Jared meets up with Sue at the museum, he says to her, you know, about the modeling again, and he says, I need you for my Marie Antoinette, the real you. And, of Ooh, course, by this time in the sinister. movie, you're kind of figuring out what he means by that. It's like, uh-oh, you know, you, you, she better watch it. <laughs> yeah. Now, here we get a scene of the movie that must have been difficult, you know, uh, believe like, uh, what what happens next? Because we, we've, we've started the movie off, we've had the murders, the two murders that were pertinent I mean, you could understand why maybe Matthew Burke was murdered because you know he's tied mm-hmm. to this fire. So it's obviously some someone wanting revenge on him, someone affected by the 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 fire in the beginning of the museum. So obviously you're mm-hmm. suspecting this is Professor Jared, but then you see Professor Jared in the wheelchair. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not him. Maybe there's a proxy, someone else who got hurt in the fire. You don't know, mm-hmm. but you suspect yeah, it's Professor Jared. But now you see these mm-hmm. henchmen who are muscular-looking. Yeah. They're imposing. One of the henchmen might be the guy. That might be a face mask he wears to scare yeah. people. Um, you know, this 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 grotesque-looking uh, face of his as the, the the attacker dressed in the mm-hmm. the shadows clothes. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're not quite now sure um, who who yeah. the murderer might be. And then you have this part of the movie which is quite quite difficult to square with. I think the plot where you have to the the house of wax has been introduced. How do you get the the sinister plot moving without skipping straight to the end? Well, you got Sue Allen then. She she has sleepless nights. She can't get the image of Kathy's face out of her mind. The fact that Joan of Arc looks so lifelike. 
that it might mm -hmm. it looks like Kathy. It might be Kathy. In fact, Kathy's body has disappeared, like you mentioned. She cannot mm -hmm. let it go, so she goes back to the cops. Mm -hmm. She goes back to uh, you know uh, Detective Brennan and uh, Sergeant Shane, and she complains. Mm -hmm. and, and Scott's with her. Scott accompanies her because you know he in, he doesn't believe, of course, that this is actually some sinister's going on because he likes uh, Professor Jared. But he definitely mm -hmm. indulges uh, Sue's whims. So they go to the cops. They have this conversation where, where she says, "Listen, this this is too coincidental. Kathy's body disappears. Now the sculpture turns out that looks so much like Kathy. And the only explanation Professor Jared gives is that she, he he modeled her off her picture in the paper. Mm -hmm. You know. So then the cops do because they're looking for any kind of." Um, you know, uh, clue here lead. Right? lead. They they're mm -hmm. stumped, uh, so they they do go to the museum and they interview a couple of the sculptors and uh, the the help and they talk to Professor Jarrett. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. But I wouldn't say their fears are completely put to rest. I would say they're very suspicious, uh, mm -hmm. but there's nothing much they can do because there's no evidence to back it up. But then, mm -hmm. Billy, things really get rolling. I should mention, though, the opening night of the House of Wax, there was like this great scene where you have this uh, Barker, right? Who's, uh -huh. uh, I think he's um, using what you call a pedal ball, right? Mm -hmm. Or yep. um, <laughs> pedal ball. But you know, Billy, the funny thing was, if this movie was set in the early 20th century, 1905, 1906, pedal balls had only been invented in the 1920s when uh, rubber, <laughs> soft rubber, came into use, widespread use. So yeah. there's no way you would have had a, a Barker using a paddle bowl. But he, this guy's highly skilled. In fact, this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when this yeah. guy's promoting the House of Wax, but he's doing this all, all, the, all the while while he's using this, this paddle bowl, which mm -hmm. he wields to great effect. <laughs> mm -hmm. In fact, I would have expected him to show up later as one of the henchmen and wielding the paddle bowl yeah. with some kind of a... A gimmick attached to the paddle ball <laughs> that he would use to murder people, but of course this is silly. <laughs> but if this was like the ba Batman '60s Batman cartoon, hell yeah! Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, that scene is great where he kind of like uh, gets the people to to uh, to pay oh, yeah. the entry fee to go to the wax museum by advertising these things. Yeah, uh, he. There are a couple of moments of humor in the in the film. You yeah. know, that's one of them. That guy, and then. There are three ladies that come into the wax museum on that opening day as well, and Fainting. one of them <laughs> faints. Yeah, they need smelling salts. That's hilarious. And, oh man, um, the fact that he would have smelling salts on hand, Professor Jared, to offer his <laughs> his patrons who managed to faint because of his surprisingly realistic horror sculptures. That's just classic. Mm -hmm. And the fact that oh, he's yeah. in a wheelchair while he's he's introducing all the sculptures he's the guide the main guide to yeah. the museum for the mm -hmm. for the folks entering he's wheeling himself on this wheelchair and then boom the lady collapses passed out and he just turns around and says oh there's some smelling salts available for your friend and then just keeps on going <laughs> he just doesn't care like this is the most <laughs> normal thing that happens in this museum is people passing out <laughs> yeah and then when uh, sue is talking to uh, scott and kind of saying about the whole like, I think these things are too realistic. Like, there's something going on here. He's trying to get her mind off of all that by taking her to a show. And it's like, you know, a can-can show with these women in these oh. you know, skimpy outfits kicking their legs and this, doing this and that. And 
he kind of says to her like, "Hey, you never saw a show like this back what home, the did you?" Hell, Scott. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> the like why would you take a, your see. girlfriend there, dude? It's like it's like taking your girlfriend to a strip joint. Like, what's wrong with you? Dude. And he, what does she say to him? Like something like, "I don't know if this is right. These girls showing off all their talents." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Very loaded comment there, right, Billy? And poor Scott, but Scott's uh-huh. enjoying it, man. He's got the smile on his face. Yeah. This, you know what this scene reminded me of? It reminded me of that scene from Taxi Driver, you know, starring Robert De Niro, you know, the Martin oh, Scorsese yeah. film, where he hooks up with Sybil Shepherd. He gets her for a date, and then he takes mm. her to this porn flick mm-hmm. on a first date movie. What in the world? <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what turns her off of him, and he's just, just she's like, that's it. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is the same thing with, with Eric. Not that <laughs> extreme, but, you know, it, it reminded me of that. It's still, yeah, it's so weird. Like you said, the whole time they're having a conversation, she's like, you know, on edge, and he's trying to get her to come down, you know, down a little bit. But still, the whole time she's talking, he's looking at these dancers with this big smile on his face. It's like, dude, that's your girlfriend sitting right there. What's wrong with you? Exactly. You know, now he, she needs some comforting, right, Billy? Because what else happens? Like, she wakes up in the middle of the night, one night. Mm-hmm. And she finds herself staring in her room. This is not a dream either. No. She finds herself face to face with who? Uh, with the killer. Yeah. And it's just crazy. And of course, nobody believes her because of all these traumatic things that have happened to her. Yeah. You know, she starts screaming, and Scott's mother comes into the room, and she's like, What's going on? Oh, he was here. He was here. And she's like, uh, She's. They think she's kind of cracking up. Yeah, that's what they think. I mean, now this is. Now. You, as a viewer, I think this is not presented as a dream sequence. It's presented mm-hmm. by you know her helpers as a possible uh, delusion, but we know it happened for a fact because we saw before she was even shown. We saw the attacker ready the rope to climb up mm-hmm. to her balcony and enter her room through mm-hmm. the through the window or through yeah. the, the 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 balcony doors. So we know mm-hmm. that this is real. We know this is not a dream. And then he literally mm-hmm. just stands in the room and looks at her, looks at her face until yeah, she creepy. wakes up. Yeah, very creepy, very creepy. And then you mm. see in the light, there's dim light, but you can see what he looks like. He's got a, a terribly deformed face, uh, lower lip hanging off of, of the on the side, uh, almost like he's constantly drooling. He looks mm-hmm. like one of, you know, if you want to equate this to comic books that you and I love, Billy, one of Arcane, Anton Arcane's Unmen. You know, these deformed mm. monstrosities that were created by this mad scientist. Yeah. You know, there's lots of films you could equate this to as well. He looks like the Frankenstein monster as portrayed by Christopher Lee and Hammer. Yeah. Know, a little bit. You know, like mm-hmm. the face is completely scarred up. And then, uh, you know, he just leaves. He escapes once she starts screaming. And mm-hmm. so he's not there to murder her. Mm-hmm. And we want to know why. And we already now have our suspicions. After all, Professor Jared is obsessed with her face. Uh-huh. So then things start moving. Because Billy, she, oh, yeah. she gets called over to the museum. Professor Jared, he promises her an explanation by showing her how he sculpts. To, to <laughs> assuage her, her fears that, about Kathy. About why is the sculptor so <laughs> sculpture so realistic? Now she trusts Professor Jared because after all, he's an old man in a wheelchair. His hands are all mm-hmm. scarred up; he can't use his hands, and um, mm-hmm. she, she doesn't have a lot of fear at this point in time. But she does want this question answered, um, mm-hmm. or even even if it's just to prove to herself that it's all in her mind. <laughs> and yeah, that's why she goes alone 
to, well, not completely alone. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, earlier in, in the day, uh, Professor Jared was admiring the work of her uh, boyfriend, Scott, as he mm -hmm. was sort of coaching him in the art mm -hmm. of sculpting. And, and yeah. then he looked at Scott's hand and he said, oh, I admire your hands so much. If only, if only I had the use of my hands again. You know, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's that part was a little bit sinister, but not overly so. And then, you know, she shows up late at night at the museum where he's promised her that he would sculpt her uh, as Marie Antoinette. But he would also explain to her exactly why, what his process is for rendering things so lifelike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, Billy, once she enters the museum, this is where the horror just explodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... Well, he has a bust of her head, by the way, too. That freaks her out a little bit. Yeah, he's already been hard at work rendering uh -huh. her. Yeah, but it's not complete. Yeah. By by any means, no. this bust is not complete. No, no, no. It's just of her head, and I guess it creeps her out a little bit seeing her own head in a box. But Oof. yeah, then well, the cops actually start, you know, just doing some, you know, investigation into Jared and then uh, the people he has employed there. And they start to, you know, uh, get on to the them, tale yeah. of this, uh, yeah, Leon Averill guy. And they bring him in for questioning. And one of the things they find on him is a watch. And it's an engraved gold watch. Yeah. And the engraving is from someone that was murdered a few months back. So they're like, where did you get this? And mm. he starts showing signs of cracking. And uh, they uh, then <laughs> later on have, you know, the old lamp-like uh, on them in a darkened room <laughs> you know the like interrogation techniques and then they find out who he really is you know because he's like kind of under an assumed name and uh he's a, a bit of an alcoholic too so they're like waving a bottle of booze around in front of his face to try to get him to talk yeah now isn't this funny that this uh, would happen to him in real life a few months after the release of the film billy Oh, no, no, mm -hmm. a few months after the film was uh, wrapping up shooting that's why mm -hmm. his in in some cases, his name is left off of the credits of the film back then. Yeah. Because, you know, they suspected him of being a Marxist sympathizer, the government did, and that's why he was blacklisted by Hollywood mm -hmm. at that time. So yeah. uh, this is the scene probably that he was going to face a couple of months later when mm -hmm. he was being interrogated for real. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in fact, he never admitted to not being a Marxist. He never said he was. But, you know, when they, they asked him directly if he was a communist, he pleaded the fifth. <laughs> so what does that mean, Billy? What, what does that mean? <laughs> Damn. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But, yeah. So, yeah. It, and to get back to it, though, but while they're doing that, you know, you get this cutting back and forth between them, you know, uh, trying to get him to crack and Sue going over to the museum because she's supposed to meet Scott over there. But... Uh, Professor Jared has sent Scott off to go, you know, on an errand for him for some supplies or something, because now is when Jared's going to make his move to get his uh, Marie Antoinette. And, you know, they uh, surround her once she's in there. Like there's a creepy scene where she's in there and it's all dark and all these noises and things are going on and she starts getting creeped out. And then, you know, all of a sudden Professor Jared shows up and Igor and they kind of box her in and she starts, uh, you know, pounding on the face of Professor Jared, and then what happens? Oh, oh that is a fantastic scene. Probably one of the... Billy, now, I don't know if you agree with this, but I'm pretty sure you do. One of the greatest scenes in a horror film ever, when she starts pounding mm -hmm. on his face, because he reveals himself to her. He reveals his malevolent intent 
mm-hmm. by just standing up, showing her mm-hmm. that he is not bound to this wheelchair at all. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, he grabs her, like you say, she pounds on his face, and his face cracks open, revealing that it mm-hmm. was just a wax mask, an incredibly lifelike wax mask that puts mm. Mission Impossible, you know, masks to shame from the 60s. And um, then it cracks yeah. open, and it's reveal, it reveals the face of the horrifically scarred, um, monstrous-looking killer who has been mm. killing people all over. And that and is, of torturing course, her and torturing her. Yeah, psychologically, by <laughs> yeah. showing up in a room. And now, you know, we, we get an inkling of what happened. Professor Jared, yes, he did survive the explosion of the wax museum in the at the start of the movie. But he was horrifically mm-hmm. scarred. And then yeah. he plotted his revenge. But he used his, his almost uh, supernatural skills at carving wax to mm-hmm. make this lifelike wax mask of himself, you know, that, that mm-hmm. just looks exactly like he did when he was, you know, uh, before the fire. And uh, mm-hmm. she beat at it and it cracked, and now it's revealed that he is the monster. Uh, we knew oh, that all yeah. along then, if you if you see that scene, you knew that all along, but there were some doubts cast on, on, on that premise uh, by the director and so mm-hmm. forth. And then, you know, mm-hmm. he just, uh, you know, he, ap- yeah, he just grabs her and just, um, you know, captures her. And takes her mm-hmm. down to uh, a, a basement level that we've seen of the House of uh, Wax before, when he introduced mm-hmm. his process to the investor. Uh, and it's got Sydney this, Wallace. Sydney yeah. Wallace. It's got this gigantic tub where he boils the wax, and it's even got this mm. sci-fi-looking Doctor Frankenstein-like contraption <laughs> for heating yeah. up this. Yeah, it's got this boiler attached to it, but it's got some tubes, tubes and, and gauges and dials tubes, yeah. and crazy yeah so this is a very delicate process it requires this intricate machine to heat up this giant bowl or tub of (laughs) wax which he then pours onto the body of a living subject (laughs) so he's got this coffin yeah people (laughs) now now she knows how how it happened why kathy looked so realistic because it is kathy kathy's Mm -hmm. dead body and presumably other dead bodies who who knows matthew burke matthew burke too yes <laughs> yep they were placed in this coffin and then they're placed beneath this tub of s- scalding hot wax and then mm-hmm. the wax is poured over them and they become mm-hmm. a living wax dummy well dead from the heat but obviously their bodies encased in this wax that's why they look so so lifelike and realistic because that is the actual bodies of the people being used in the display now you yeah. think there would be some sort of decay happening there billy like some stench coming off of Joan of Arc <laughs> or of Matthew Burke's corpse. No, somehow with some embalming or chemicals, he's, he's managed to get rid of that. Yeah. Sue's not going to have that luxury, though. She, she He puts her in that coffin while she's buck conscious. Naked. Buck naked. Stripped of her clothes. <laughs> now, we don't see any any of her, her bits, but, you know, uh, that's that's fine. That's that's fine. I, I prefer it like that. This yeah. is a classy horror film. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would have liked. Oh, <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't say that. She's a she's a very, <laughs> very beautiful woman. But you know, I'm not oh, sure. into that now. But you know, they put her into that. He puts her in to that mm-hmm. coffin, which is full of these little these these dried wax stains. It looks like the coffin itself been melted, right, Billy? Yeah, it's, it's gross. It's horribly gross, and she's naked in this thing, and mm-hmm. she's strapped in with these manacles. She can't move. She can only scream and sweat as the heat starts to build in this room. And she screams until her voice is hoarse. Nothing's there to help her. He's just waiting for the wax to 
to melt so that he can pour this all over her and kill her. Mm-hmm. But oh, what yeah. happens, Billy? Old Scott, proverbial uh, hero, tries to come to save the day, right? That doesn't yeah, go like, very well. Speak on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, basically, there's three things going on at the same yeah. time. This this process that, you know, Professor Jared's trying to, you know, make a wax figure out of her, his Marie Antoinette. You have Scott coming back to the museum, and he then hears her screams, but his way is blocked by uh, our buddy Charles Bronson, Igor. And then the cops also finally break uh, Leon Averill, and mm. he tells them everything. He sings like a canary and says, yes, all these wax figures there, the Joan of Arc, the John Wilkes Booth, um, the Matthew Burke, it's all the real people, and Jared killed them all and made wax figures out of them all. Like, yeah. And the cops are like, oh boy, so they load a, a dozen cops into the paddy wagon, and they head over too, but you know, as that's going on, we have Scott fighting with... Uh, Charles Bronson, and that doesn't go well for Scott because, like you said, Charles Bronson is a big, scary dude, and Scott's just like a regular, everyday Joe. So they fight, but you know, Scott gets kind of knocked out, half knocked out, and there's a guillotine there. So yeah, <laughs> he shoves him. <laughs> Igor shoves him into the guillotine, and he's just about to take his head off when the cops show up. And then when they show up, uh, there's this huge brawl that breaks out, and Igor. He kicks the crap out of half the cops, but you know they eventually uh, subdue him and then figure out what's going on downstairs and break the door down. And then here we go, another uh, brawl here, another WrestleMania. There's lots of brawls in this movie, if you think about it, Billy. That protracted yeah. fist fight in the beginning uh, with uh, mm-hmm. Professor Jared versus uh, Matthew Burke. Matthew and then you've Burke, got yeah. this, this fist fight between Igor and Scott. And, and, Scott, and then yeah. you've got the fist fight between uh, Igor and the cops. And like you say, he almost he gets the better of all the cops. And then when the cops finally do restrain him, because there's like eight cops on him, <laughs> Detective yeah, Brennan decides yeah. to slap him around a bit. <laughs> but yeah, the guy's mute. Like, he already okay. knows he's mute. <laughs> yeah, not... police brutality here. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, Holy this guy crap. deserved it because he was going to murder. Oh, I mean, yeah. he, he's probably been mm-hmm. eyeing this guillotine since he started to work in the wax museum because obviously this guillotine... Uh, portrays the executions in France during the French Revolution. You know, mm-hmm. with Robespierre, you know, uh, getting rid of all the yeah. French ar- aristocracy there with the guillotine. Yeah. So uh, this is a working guillotine, though, and it was an actual working guillotine in real life, too, on the set. So that's that guillotine's mm-hmm. got a bit of story related to ability, which which I'll tell just now. But he, after he knocked uh, Scott out, he, like you say, he dragged him over to the guillotine because he just want, he thought this would be a spectacular death. For this guy, and he has this smile on his face the whole time he's doing this. Oh yeah, yeah, he's really enjoying this. It's so creepy. Igor, man, portrayed brilliantly here by Charles Bronson as an evil, sinister maniac in his own mm-hmm. right. He puts him in the guillotine. Now, Billy, this is scary, dude. Listen to this. If you're an actor, this probably won't happen these days, unless you're Tom Cruise, insanely wanting to do your own stunts at the age of fifty-five or whatever. But you know, or Jackie Chan, <laughs> but. There, this yeah. guillotine actually worked, and there was no safeguard. The only safeguard was, while Scott, you know, the actor, had to put his head into this guillotine, uh, Alex de Toth said, okay, we'll, you know, don't worry about it. You'll be safe. We'll have a guy sitting on top of the guillotine holding the blade to prevent it from accidentally falling. Can you believe it, Billy? Mm, my and, gosh, that's insane. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. Um you know, uh, Scott, he refused. Uh, Paul 
Paul Pacerni, right? The, uh, his real name. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't do it. Yeah. And then if Alex de Toth called him names on the set, he called him a chicken shit. Really, this is this is this <laughs> wow. has been, been documented. He called him a chicken shit, and Scott uh, or, or or Paul Pacerni still wouldn't do it. And then eventually, they inserted a type of metal bar to prevent, you know, an accident. An accident. Because yeah. after all, this guy's sitting on top of the guillotine, holding the blade, even though the blade, you know, wouldn't necessarily fall unless activated by the lever. It could mm-hmm. still accidentally fall, right, Billy? It Somehow. could slip or something. Yeah, yeah, it could slip or the lever could not work or something. So there's no safeguard, uh, 100% safeguard. Other than this mm-hmm. guy up there holding the blade. What? And then, you know, Paul Pacerni <laughs> got, you know, eventually got his way. Thank God. He got yeah. them to insert a metal bar to stop this from happening. But the fact that Alex de Toth, the director, still wanted to go ahead with it, that's just insane, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that is insane. Like, where's the Screen Actors Guild or whatever yeah, what to stop this? <laughs> <laughs> they only covered guys like Bogart and Brand, uh, Marlon Brando or something. I don't know. Well, maybe not even mm. Brando when it was, it wasn't big uh, yet. But Bogart, certainly. But yeah, not these lower tier actors, maybe. Nope, nope, nobody gave a crap, but yeah, so, oh yeah, and then like you said, it's they bust the door down, and then it's it's a full-on another brawl between the cops and uh, Professor Jared, who, again, he's, you know, this guy that's like, you know, sort of physically a little crippled from that fire, but he beats the snot out of half the cops, and he's throwing them around and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, he's surrounded on all sides. The cop break, they have multiple entry points into this underground basement where he's about to pour mm-hmm. this hot wax all over. Now she's passed out by this time. Poor Sue, right? From the Sue, heat, yeah. from, this, from the panic, from mm-hmm. the stress, from the fear. The sheer fear of the situation. She's, she's completely passed out, but she's covered in sweat. It's a great scene every time they show her in the box. And did you catch that bit where yeah. she, before she passed out, she t- tried to scratch herself free that wouldn't help but yeah. she she scratched the side of the box and her nail came off oh did you see so that gross. bit yeah oh that's awful oh man that that just showed her intense fear and panic at that point in time the terror she must have felt that she would actually scratch one of her nails off and mm-hmm. then you know we have like you said this brawl now uh professor jared didn't give a good well he he did fairly well for himself in the beginning of the movie uh, during his uh, donny brook with uh, matthew burke but he lost that mm-hmm. fight uh-huh. But this time around, he's fueled by insanity uh, and, uh, you know, by this obsession. So he's much stronger, uh, theoretically, mm-hmm. than he was. He's this madman. Yeah. He takes out half of the cops, uh, like you say. <laughs> but then one of the cops, I, I would call this a lucky shot, a lucky punch, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, punches Professor Jared. Now, now, first, Professor Jared has the signature move, WrestleMania move. He he picks you up by the by the leg and then tries to hurl you over his shoulder. And it worked once, <laughs> right? He hurled the cop yeah. off the stairs. And that cop must be dead, man. Neck broken. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then three cops tackle him at the same time. After he kicked, kicked two down the stairs, punched out another cop who was following him up. And then, you know, the, the cops broke uh, uh, through on the top of the landing, right, Billy? He took on three cops mm-hmm. at the same time. He tried to pick up the one guy, right? Same signature move. Mm. It didn't work because now yeah. it was three on one. But then he clocked mm. the, the, the second guy. And then yeah. one of the cops got in a lucky shot. And then uh, mm-hmm. what happens? Oh, yeah. there's They're, they're basically on a landing. Yeah. But it's right above where that giant uh, wooden tub full of this 500-degree boiling vat of wax is. So uh, Professor Jared ends up getting knocked off of there from the cops, punching him, and 
right into the vat. Oh, it's horrible. Oof, that must have been a painful death. It was a very painful mm-hmm. death. He almost seems to be dead on impact, but of course that's not the case. He must have immediately, uh, his lungs must have been filled with Ugh. this burning wax, preventing him from screaming, right, Billy? But he falls oh, into awful. this hot wax and he just drifts there face down, burning, slowly burning. This is the second uh, time he was burned horrifically in the mm-hmm. movie. So then the, what happens when he falls into the, the, the vat, this giant, uh, like you say, wooden container of, of wax, it, it starts yeah. to reach boiling point. And because it's got mm-hmm. this extra, you know, uh, weight in it, it overflows. In in fact, it splashes all over the place. And uh-huh. Detective Brennan, for the win here, he saves Sue's life by pushing the coffin. Now, thank God this coffin was on wheels, you know, or on a mm-hmm. on a gurney or something, or on a table yeah. with, with little wheels here, because he pushes the coffin away just in time, right before this wave of hot wax starts pouring out and just falling all over the place where the coffin was, containing yeah, ex- Sue. Like explodes, yeah. And so he pushes her to safety, and then very gentlemanly, but he probably he probably got a good look at Sue's oh yeah loveliness. He uh-huh. takes off his jacket and then you know th- covers, covers her yeah. real real gentleman like there. <laughs> and um, yeah. then you know of course uh, the 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 movie's basically over. I think we've got like two minutes left at this point in time. And then yeah. it cuts to the next scene. Now the next scene is pretty horrific too, right, Billy? Because we see the head of Sue Allen on the table of, of <laughs> Brennan, on the desk, <laughs> in the police station. And that's the first yeah. shot we see of the next scene. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he says, like, would you like to keep this as a souvenir of your recent adventure, Miss <laughs> Allen? She's like, oh, no, that's horribly macabre. I would never. Uh, yeah. no, no, thank you, detective. And <laughs> this is now where the humor gets in, right, Billy? This is the very mm-hmm. end of the film. Mm-hmm. And they don't even comment on the professor dying. They, that's just up to us. Nope. You know, we, we they, yeah. they've solved the crime now. It's all about the viewers and how you interpret this. Mm-hmm. But uh, they just straight go for the humor and they say like, "Well, you know, um, you know, I, I wish you best of luck." And uh, and she says before they leave, she and Scott before they leave the police station. Oh, and Scott even makes a crack. Right? He says. I'm glad you uh, you you know you got me out of that guillotine in time because uh, that would have been a very close shave. And he, he pulls this <laughs> finger across his neck, <laughs> and everybody laughs at it. And I'm like, what? And then nobody would react like that to a traumatic event like this, right? These days, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and then the detectives get into the humor, but first, before Sue Allen and Scott leaves the 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 office, the police office. station. They say, uh, Sue Allen turns to Detective uh, Brennan and she says, thank you, Detective, for your jacket. I, I really appreciate it. And he says, oh, it was nothing. And she says, well, it, it wasn't nothing to me. It meant a lot to me. And then they say their goodbyes. And as they leave, <laughs> what is, what now speak on this, Billy? This is now the well, silliest <laughs> bit of humor, but it cracked me up. <laughs> well, Lieutenant Brennan says to her, like, you know, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'm glad I gave you my jacket. I wouldn't want you to catch cold. And as he says that, the you know the more comedic you know Dabs Greer uh, character, Sergeant Jim Shane, sneezes what he says about catching cold, and of course Sue turns around and looks at him like you creep, and she goes, "Bless you." <laughs> yeah, bless you, uh, Sergeant Shane, and he, and he says, "Oh, mm. thank you." But the the way he says it, like he's pining <laughs> after her, 
Thank you, Mrs. Oh, yeah, Allen. Like, Thank you, Miss Allen. He's saying that, but in his head, he's thinking of her laying there naked. Oof, that's basically <laughs> it, yeah. That's basically it. That's what he looks like. And then, you know, the funniest bit comes at the end, the silliest bit, where they've got another bust or another wax uh, face head, head sitting yeah. on a... On, on the uh, what appears to be a bookshelf shelf up there, there or whatever. Yeah. and uh, Detective Brennan grabs that head by the hair, and it's Charles Bronson's face. Obviously, this uh-huh. is the head of the um, murderer in the you know um, who uh, was sitting in the electric chair in the uh, as one of the wax. Kem- Kemler, yeah. yeah, Kemler, and they've got the head of him, but it's Charles Bronson's head that is based off mm-hmm. of, and they show yeah. it to the camera, and what do they say, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Lieutenant Brennan says, "Yeah, this guy is. What does he say? Something like this guy is uh, gonna grow a long beard till he gets out of Sing Sing." <laughs> yeah, by the time he gets out of Sing Sing, he'll have a long beard, and he points to the wax, you know, head, and he points the to camera, the camera, like, zooms oh. in on it. Yeah, and then and then the end. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there there was like you know a few bits of humor in the movie. Not I wouldn't say too many or too no, many that are over the top. It. No, it was just right. Yeah, it was just right. <laughs> yeah, but to end it on this comedic note, yeah, maybe that you know worked because some of the people might have thought, okay, they don't want to end it on on too of a sour note. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of the movies back then, horror movies at least, did end like like that, right? Billy, the 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 killer would die, yeah. and that's it. The end of the movie is just where the victim who survived is hugged by whoever saved her, and that's it. The credits roll. But here you have the scene in the police station where everybody jokes around. I mean, they're almost like they're doing yeah. their own comedic bits. Every single one of them, they mm-hmm. they a lot of, you know, it's like stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie ends with with that final well it's like four or five jokes in a row in that last two yeah. minute scene in the precinct but great film Billy yep. fantastic Vincent Price wow man what a god what a legend of cinema mm, this performance crazy he gave, good insane it's just too good to be true and uh, yeah. then the rest of the actors too uh, very uh, strong performances from, from everyone loved yeah, it and then it just just to say to it, uh, reading here on the IMDb, 24, in 2014, the movie was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. So that they don't, you know, that's not a huge list of films that get that. So that tells you how good it is. So, yeah, definitely seek this one out. It's a must-see. Yeah, definitely. No, no doubt about it. So you got to see this if you haven't seen it. But, of course, if you're listening to this episode, it's, it's probably a good bet you've already seen this movie. But if not, mm-hmm. if you think that the only House of Wax out there is the 2005 Paris Hilton oh. feature, then shame on you. See good this grief. classic for what it is. This this fantastic uh, remake of a 1933 film. But still, they, they did remakes well back then. I would say, mm-hmm. like, up until, you know, the mid-'80s, that's when remakes were still good. You know, you have like mm-hmm. remakes of The Fly, remakes of The Thing from Outer Space, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing being that remake. Mm-hmm. You had some good yeah. remakes, right, Billy? Yeah. yeah That's yeah, why yeah. there you, was there yeah. were so, some good ones, yeah. That's why you can't blame me for, for being hopeful and taking my wife in 2005 to the cinema to see the remake of House of Wax. I was expecting big things. Nope. No, 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 no. It was a train wreck. As long as you've learned your lesson, we're, we're good. I have. I have. I've been burned too many times. Much like Professor Jared, I've been burned too many times. Uh, so, yeah, now, Twice. Yeah, now I avoid that. <laughs> now I stay safe in my wax museum and, 
just just do my my murders in secret <laughs> and sculpt my wax figures. <laughs> Stay away from the fires of remakes. So, dude, great, uh, fantastic film, great episode. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast to talk about. Awesome. So, yeah, anybody that hasn't seen it, get out there and see it. So, uh, if anybody wants to look you up, where can they find you, my friend? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dark Longbox. We've also got our other podcasts on there at Into Weird. That's our Into the Weird uh, Bronze Age comic book centered mm-hmm. show focusing on Marvel and Doctor Strange and Morbius the Living Vampire and horror related things. Um, so look look us up uh, if you want to listen to a podcast like that, Into the Weird. And then we've also got the you know All Squadron account, uh, which is mm-hmm. our All Star Squadron podcast, The World on Fire. Lots of mm-hmm. uh, things we're into these days, right, Billy? Um, you can look us oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's where you can find me if you want to engage. And um, I'm always up for some DMs and uh, uh, talking on Twitter. Fun fun place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look us up there. And then we actually have a Patreon now as well for uh, our Into the Weird show, which we are doing some really fun, good things over there too. So please look us up on there. And if you're so inclined, you know, throw us a couple bucks for some extra content. And that's uh, patreon.com slash Into the Weird. So definitely look that up and then by the time you're going to hear this we will also have another project out that is uh all-star squadron adjacent as well Mm, that's right that's right so yeah please support us there if you Mm -hmm. can i mean uh people who Mm -hmm. are into horror films are not necessarily into comic books but but you know we are so so Mm -hmm. hopefully you'll be like-minded and you'll check that stuff out and we're going to be talking lots of horror Mm -hmm. we already did talk a lot of horror in this month right billy because being october Mm -hmm. halloween we have a lot of other shows out look for there are two episodes of into the weird horror related um discussions there uh you've got a lot of magazines and monsters content uh recent episodes Mm -hmm. and uh, this being the final episode of uh halloween i think we're going out with a bang Yep, going out with uh, a great Vincent Price flick. That's that's can't ever go wrong, Vincent Price. And then, oh, just to, so people know too, there was uh, one other film that uh, Charles Bronson and Vincent Price did together called Master of the World. Look for that one, fantasy film from 1961. Never, it's crazy. Never seen it. I gotta see that now. Mm-hmm. I gotta see it, it, that. It's crazy. Okay, it's crazy. Good. Thanks for and the they're, recommendation. They're, they're both in there, and and it's a good uh, Bronson role too, because you know, good speaking role. He's uh, still this big, tough guy, but he's also really smart, you know, portrayed as really cunning in that one, too. And he's got some good quips in there. So some good dialogue for him. Like, definitely look that one up. Wonderful. I'm going to have to do that, Billy. So, yeah, um, now that we're almost done with Halloween, I'm kind of uh, wistful. I'm sad, but um, mm-hmm. some great horror that we've uh, covered and uh, looking forward to some more next year. But we'll always do some horror with magazines and monsters. That's our thing. So uh, oh, yeah. look forward, listeners, to more horror-related movie discussions. And, you know, you and I are doing the Swamp Thing uh, mm-hmm. collaboration between my show, Longbox of Darkness, and your magazines and monsters. So we'll give you more Swamp Thing content in the weeks and months to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, my friend. So that's going to do it for this one. So I'm going to let you go now, and then I'll just jump back on quick to wrap things up afterwards. So thank you again. I appreciate it, buddy. Always a pleasure, Billy. Take it easy, listeners. Stay safe during this Halloween. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that wraps up this episode. Uh, I want to thank Herman for coming on the show and uh, once again have a cool movie uh, talk with me. I'm sure he'll be on again sometime in the near future. Not 100% sure um, what I have uh, cooking now in the future, into November here. I do have, you know, three or four uh, guests lined up 
and a couple of them I have, you know, the uh, subject matter already lined up, and a couple of them uh, not yet, so no sneak peeks here, but uh, November and December are definitely going to be pretty good, so uh, stay tuned.